We'll hear argument first this morning, number 97930, Victoria Buckley versus the American Constitutional Law Foundation. Uh, General Norton. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Colorado views the initiative process as an essential part of our lawmaking function. The right of initiative is the first section under the Colorado Constitution under the heading Legislative Department. Because this is an important process to state government, we have established a limited structure of regulation intended to safeguard the people's right to democratic self-government while ensuring the fairness of our election process. Beyond the two viewpoints represented in the courtroom today, there are two other important interests that are protected through our regulatory process. The first is the interest of those who may oppose an initiative. And the second is the interest of the signers of the petition. May I ask just one factual question? Yes, Your Honor. I understand there is a, a final reporting requirement, a disclosure requirement, and that is not challenged here? Uh, that is correct. Uh, it is the reports that uh, deal with the monthly reporting requirement as to the uh, individual petition circulators. Uh, well, uh, d does the financial disclosure that's made at the end and that's not challenged uh, separate out the amount that's paid for solicitors? So if I read the report, I know that they spent X dollars for TV advertising um, and Y dollars for, for to pay circulators. Do I, can I find that out in the final report? Uh, the final report would list all of the expenditures included among the expenditures of the sponsoring well, campaign. I'm asking, is it a lump sum or is it separated out? It, so, it is separated out in detail. And um, when is that final report due? Is that before the election or after? Uh, I'm not sure, Your Honor. It, it would also show the amounts that went to the individual uh, uh, petition circulators? That is correct. When the petition is completed, isn't that when the, that report gets filed? I thought the monthly reports were while the petition was in circulation. The monthly reports are while it is in circulation. But when the completed petition is there and the sponsor says we have enough votes, at that time the, the so-called final report would go in? Your Honor, I'm not sure what the due date is for the final report. Is there anything in the, uh, in the monthly disclosure statements that, that break it down expenditure by expense? So if I looked at the monthly disclosure statement, um, could I see how much was paid just for circulating? The monthly disclosure statement lists the amounts that are paid to each individual circulator on a person by person. That, that was struck down. Has, has anything in the monthly disclosure statement been allowed to stand? By the, the district court's opinion? What, what has been struck down is, is simply the amount that applies to individual circulators. All right. In that monthly disclosure statement, so far as the statute that has been allowed to stand, yes. can I see how much is paid lump sum for circulation? You would have to add up the amount that is paid to each individual circulator. Well, except that's been struck down. Okay. Signature gathering serves the same function as a primary election in a candidate selection process. By obtaining the requisite 54,242 signatures, an initiative's backers establish that it has a significant modicum of support. Well, there's this difference between signature gathering and a primary election. In a primary election, it is not somebody trying to persuade somebody else. In signature, signature gathering may perform that function, but it is in addition and perhaps primarily one citizen trying to persuade another citizen about the merits of a, of a particular legislative proposal. Here there are three functions that all occur simultaneously. That is uh, the aspect of persuasiveness, as you have described. There is also a role that the circulator plays of an administrative function akin to an election judge. And there is also the function of acting as an agent or fiduciary for the signer and fulfilling responsibilities as to the signer. Well, do, do this. Is, is there any way of telling from this record whether the typical petitioner circuit, petition circuit goes door to door or sits in a shopping mall? I suppose they do both. 
they, they may do both. Uh, the practice is ordinarily to go to a shopping mall or someplace where there are many people gathered. Uh, the uh, so record the does not uh, specifically describe that in the, the trial court. What is the interest of the state that you say supports the requirement that the circulators have to be registered voters? Uh, that is, is two-part. First of all is because they are fulfilling a lawmaking function, we have, as a state should be able to say that those who are fulfilling that function should be people who are committed to the state. In light of Meyer, I would have thought the state would have a hard time uh, asserting that its interest in having them be registered voters can prevail. No doubt there are people in the state who are not registered voters, but who nonetheless would like to serve as petition circulators and debate the merits of given issues. We are happy to have people debate the merits and to enter into a persuasive function. It is only when they perform the administrative election judge type functions of ensuring that those who are signing the petition are who they say they are, that a husband is not signing for a wife. Well, that someone why is can't paid. somebody who's a resident of Colorado, who's an adult resident, perform that function just as well as somebody who's a registered voter? I just don't understand. The registration requirement is different from a residency requirement in that it requires a person to swear an oath that they are a resident of the state before they begin the circulating process. There is a requirement that they do so at the end of the circulating process as part of the affidavit if, if registration and uh, uh, residency are separated. But here we have an assurance all the way through the process that they are going to be here. It ties in with the, the second justification for that, and that is in preventing fraud. We have had the problem of people who come to the state uh, simply to circulate petitions. If those people are not going to be around several months later, when we actually go through the process of having an administrative hearing to Yes, but you require an affidavit at the end of the day when the petition is filed that the circulator is, in fact, a resident. Uh, that is ordinarily our process. And you have at the normal point, criminal laws that could enforce that. So it's very difficult for me to understand in the face of Meyer what state justification you can offer for also requiring that the circulator be a registered voter. Uh, this would ensure that they are a resident throughout the entire time that they are circulating the petition rather than just at the moment that they submit. Well, well why isn't, isn't that? Isn't there something in the record that suggests that it's easier to determine whether someone is a registered voter than it is to determine whether they're a resident? We have specific lists of registered voters. We do not have lists of people who are otherwise residents. It gives us uh, a concrete place to answer that question. Is it any part of your rationale on the, res the, the registered voters that if you don't want to count yourself in the political community by not voting, you shouldn't take part in this? Or is it simply a, a kind of way of verifying that the person is indeed a resident? It is a way of verifying that a person is indeed a resident, and that is correct. But it is also it is also two parts. To the extent that someone is playing a formal role in the process, which they are doing, we would require that they be registered voters in a way as part of being committed to the Colorado lawmaking process, just as we require our legislators to be committed, just as we require election judges and those who participate in nominating conventions to be registered voters. If they want to participate in the purely advocacy function, to stand next to someone who is a registered voter, they are perfectly free to do that and to act as advocates. How do you get around the fact that despite the uh, the complexity of function, and I will concede to you that they are performing uh, functions in the electoral process. How do you get around the fact that Meyer says they're also engaging in core speech? And if they're engaging in core speech, uh, they're going to be, uh, your restrictions are going to be judged on, on a uh, very restrictive standard. Uh, how do you get around Meyer in that respect? We believe that even under a strict scrutiny analysis that our 
laws would satisfy that strict scrutiny. Okay. Why, why is that? Let, let, let's talk about the, why, why is it easier to prevent f- fraud somehow when, when you're dealing with a resident than with a non-resident? You, you, you think uh, um, Coloradans are uh, more honest than uh, non-Coloradans? Is that, uh, is that the rationale? Well, we would like to think so. Uh, our rationale is being able to find people. Uh, if someone is a registered voter, they have taken an oath saying that they are a resident. That gives us some assurance that they may be around when questions arise. Someone may seek a signature. It may be six months later at the time a, an administrative hearing is held to inquire into questions about the validity of that signature. And if those people have left the state, well, do you think we registered voters are more apt to leave the state than people who haven't registered? Uh, I mean, are less apt to leave the state than people who haven't registered? Is there any statistics show which ones are which segment of the population is more mobile than the other? Uh, to the extent that we are dealing with the problem of uh, that is is described in uh, the amicus briefs of the state and local legal center and of the states, uh, we are seeing the development of bands of people who go from state to state simply to circulate petitions. And don't they have to provide you with their, you could require them to provide you with their name and address so that even though they're itinerant, you can still, you know, you can find who they were. We may know that they live in California, but we cannot subpoena them in California, and we cannot prosecute them for having engaged in fraud. Have you ever prosecuted any any petition gatherer? Yes, we have. Uh, In the record, it uh, shows the 1992 cycle in which we successfully prosecuted three people for forgery. We attempted to prosecute three others, but were not able to serve the warrants because they had left the state. These gatherers or or signers? Uh, These were gatherers. I'll I'll grant you it would be easier uh, if you didn't have to go to California, but, I mean, if if the fraud is serious, you can can, uh, start an extradition proceeding, can't you? Uh, we were not able to, as a practical matter, do that in this situation. Well, why? Because it, it would cost too much money? Uh, it would have. We had a problem with our, um, because it is a misdemeanor in some situations, uh, we would not be able to do that. In other situations, it was uh, trying to, to serve warrants. Uh, we were not able to do that. But the, the only justification for the registration requirement you've given us is that it's, it's easier to find their address if they're registered. Right? Uh, no, it is, it is twofold. It is also our interest as a state in having people who participate in our lawmaking process be citizens and registered voters. Well, you, you can require that they, be, uh, that they be residents without requiring that they be registered voters. We could have a process that would require them to swear an oath saying that they I'm a resident, are, res- and this is my are residents. When they begin the initiative right. process, right. and then but, uh, when but they you, you end, also, that, you also said it was a question of timing. You also said, I think, it was much easier for the state to determine whether someone was a registered was uh, actually a registered voter or not than to determine whether they're actually a resident. That is correct. How many of these people are we talking about? How much of a burden is that on the state to uh, that is <coughs> saved by simply going to the registration vote? D- d- does the state do that? Go to the registration rolls and check that all these people are actually registered? Yes, we do, Your Honor. And, and how many people are you talking How many How many of these uh, election gypsies are there who wander around from, uh, from state to state? Uh, there, there can be uh, several hundreds uh, in any Several given, hundreds? In any given petition, uh, there may be several hundred circulators. It's not a whole lot of people. May I ask on candidate uh, petitions? petitions circulated in order to enable someone to run as a candidate in an election. Uh, They also use petition circulators. That is correct. Does Colorado law require that those circulators be registered voters? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. So presumably the same argument made here today with regard to the petition circulation would apply to candidate petitions as well. That is if the respondents are correct. That is correct. Uh, suppose that it were shown that in most cases in Colorado, uh, initiatives were circulated by paid solicitors 
who didn't really care which side they were on. They were just doing it to, uh, to get the pay. Uh, they circulated a petition on either side of, of, of any issue. Uh, suppose that were the fact most of the time. Uh, would that uh, undermine the rationale of our recent opinion in Myers? It was a unanimous opinion. It was recent. I, I doubt that we would want to revisit it. But I, I noticed in your brief that you seem to be questioning the rationale that core speech does take place at the initiate at the signature gathering stage. The Burdick approach that we would urge the court to adopt recognizes that there is both the core speech aspect where there would be a severe burden on that speech potentially and the ability of the state to have a regulatory well, process. Well, Burdick was in the context of a primary election with yeah. rules about parties and so forth. And the assumption of Myers was uh, that a core speech function, a very viable speech function, uh, in the initiative process takes place at the signature gathering stage so that it's not analogous to the candidate qualifying thing. And, and I, I'm asking if, if, if you think that distinction hold, holds. Meyer, I believe, did not adequately recognize the other aspects of the process. It focused on the core speech part, which was truly at issue in Meyer and did not look at the other issues of the state in are you, are you saying that, that core speech does not take place routinely in the signature gathering process? And you're denying that as an empirical no. matter, that the court is factually wrong? Uh, no. Uh, core speech well, in you terms can say we're wrong of if you advocacy. think we're wrong. <laughs> uh, in terms of advocacy, that is one part of it. But uh, there are several transactions taking place simultaneously. Well, how, how much do we actually know about this, or how much did we know about it in Meyer? You know, well, if, if in fact someone sits at a shopping center and waits for people to come up to them, and they're anxious to get as many signatures as they can, one would suspect that there's not much debate if, if someone is going to say, I don't like that proposition. The p petition circular just says, okay, go on. I want someone who will sign. Uh, we believe the state and local government center in its brief has presented a fairly accurate view of what the transaction ordinarily looks like. Uh, it is an attempt to get as many people through to just sign uh, rather than going through an extensive process of explaining the petition. Why does the state insist that the circulator have to have the circulator's name on a badge as opposed to just saying volunteer or paid circulator? Uh, that is to address the problem that we have of trying to maintain the integrity of the process as it is going along. If the Secretary of State's office receives a phone call <coughs> that says, I saw a petition circulator paying people, to sign petitions, which is clearly a violation of state law. We get a call that says it was a man with brown hair standing at the corner of 6th and Broadway. At that point in time, we don't have any petitions. We can't look at the signature on that. Is a problem? Is yes, it, it has. And that is reflected how, in the record. How, how, how often a problem of, of paying people to sign petitions? Uh, that is, uh, that has been a problem. It has been prosecuted. That is an example. How, how often? How, how many prosecutions have there been of this sort? Uh, there have not been uh, recent prosecutions on that. Have there, there are been any prosecutions, recent or otherwise? I believe that there are some earlier cases on that. I have not seen any in the last uh, General, General Norton, if you have the petition with the person's name on it, and you have a badge that says paid solicitor and the sponsor's name, just not that person's name, then the burden on the, the, that you, you have been informing us of is substantially reduced, is it not? I mean, you know from the petition who were the signers of that particular petition. The, the person is required to identify the sponsor and that that person is paid or volunteer. Why isn't that adequate? Why do you need the name in addition? We've had an example that is reflected in the record where the opponent saw a petition circulator misrepresenting the contents of the petition. They took pictures of the circulator, but even with those pictures at a subsequent hearing, we were not able to identify who those individuals were. But if you knew the sponsor, if the sponsor had to be identified, 
if you had everything that you now require on the badge, why and you have the picture, well, the sponsor knows who's been hired, don't they? Even under those circumstances, it is an individual violation for the circulator to engage in misconduct. And the sponsor may or may not be able to identify who is standing on a particular street corner or who is in a picture. Are you this careful in registering voters as Uh, opposed to uh, uh, collecting petitions that would uh, undo the work of the legislature? You see, I I, I come into this with the... uh, with the attitude that legislatures don't like these things because they're usually uh, uh, collected in order to uh, do something that the legislature doesn't want to do or to undo something that the legislature has done. Now, has your legislature been this concerned about the slightest chance of fraud uh, with respect to, uh, let us say, registering to vote? Uh, that is something that has been largely dictated by federal legislation in recent years oh. that has caused us to... Uh, make our laws uh, less strict. But you used to be this careful before the drive-through uh, registration laws. Uh, we used to be more careful than we currently are. Uh, it, you are correct that uh, we are not able to be as careful in the voter registration process. If, if in fact, I just have one question I'd like to ask, which is that if uh, I assume, I'll assume for argument's sake that you're right, that there's an aspect in which this petition gatherer is like a voting official who sits in a booth so the state can regulate. But the, that petition gatherer is also a person who's likely to try to persuade someone to sign the petition. And to that extent, uh, there's speech involved, persuasive political speech. So if I think there's both, what standard do I apply? And which case do you look to to give me the right standard? In other words, I, I think there's a lot of speech involved, but I also think it's pretty important that the state can regulate its process for making laws. Now, so I think both. And so, since I think both, what case do I look to? I would urge you to look at the Burdick standard. The Burdick was was just a question of write-ins, wasn't it? That was pure process, or pretty pure process. So so I'm still looking. I've looked in the uh, labor area, like picketing. Uh, I've looked in... uh, uh, there's, uh, I, I, but I want your opinion. Uh, I believe uh, it, that the Burdick standard would allow you to take into account both the pure speech aspects of it. When Burdick standard at, being? Uh, having a, a flexible standard such that a severe burden on speech would cause a strict scrutiny. What about Buckley, to too? Pardon? Buckley. Have you looked at Buckley? Yes. Uh, Buckley right, so is what, what it, Now, thinking of both those cases, what standard would you articulate that we should uh, use? Uh, Buckley is a strict scrutiny case, as is Meyer versus Grant. I thought you would say Meyer versus Grant uh, immediately, because that also involves exactly the same two things that are involved here. It involved the, uh, the persuasive function and the, uh, what you if, call the administrative thought, function. If I thought that Meyer was not dealing with the aspect in which the petition gatherer is an arm of the state's electoral process, which the state could regulate from that point of view, just as it could somebody in an election booth, you know, the person who sits there. But both are involved. What standard should I use? I I would urge the Burdick standard as allowing the examination of both of those aspects. Why not... The Timmons, is, which is the more recent precedent. Uh, Timmons, in my mind, applies the same standard. For you to win, do you have, do we have to somehow modify Meyer? Meyer examines. Or clarify it or restrict it for you to win on all these points. I believe that if strict scrutiny is applied, we win on all of our points nevertheless. Uh, however, I think for, from the state perspective, for our ability to regulate our process and understand what the rules are going to be, it would be better for us, it would make more sense uh, to apply the verdict and... Well, ju- ge- General Norton, Justice O'Connor asked you a question. She said, if you are to prevail here, do we have to modify or clarify Meyer? And you were to refer to Burdick? What, what's your answer to her question? No, because I believe that uh, under strict scrutiny, 
we can prevail under the Meyer standard as well. Despite the fact that the voter registration requirement and the disclosure of the name seem to fly squarely in the face of what the Court said in Meyer. Strict scrutiny was the standard applied in Buckley versus Vallejo as well, as well as in other cases that have upheld regulation well, of the electoral. I, I don't think strict scrutiny was applied across the board in Buckley, General Norton. I mean, there were several different kinds of requirements there. And I, 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 I would, perhaps you've read it more recently than I have, I would not have said that strict scrutiny was applied across the board. Uh, I believe that that was the standard that was applied to the disclosure requirements and the other aspects that are parallel to this particular case. Let me put the Justice O'Connor's question slightly differently. If you cannot prevail under strict scrutiny, then you cannot uh, prevail unless we modify Meyer. Isn't that correct? That is correct. If, if, if I thought that uh, this case turned on whether or not there really was uh, meaningful speech at the signature gathering process. If, if I thought that was determinative, where, where would I go to find that out? Uh, is there, there any things written about it? Uh, there are there are some the, this uh, discussions record is, is in the very, record. It's very sparse on all of these points. Uh, the the uh, briefs that have been filed by the Amici, including the National Voter Outreach. Uh, organization which employs petition circulators. Excuse me, what, do you, what do you mean by meaningful speech? Could you define this term? If I come up to you and say, vote for Smith, or I have a sign that says, vote for Smith, is, is that meaningful speech? Or do I, I have to tell you why? I would say, vote for Smith is meaningful Core speech. Core political speech, sign isn't this it? Petition would you sign this position? Sign this petition is, is asking not, people to fulfill an elective function. It, it, sign this petition to lower taxes. Meaningful speech again? Meaningful speech with a combination of isn't that passed in Meyer? Didn't I mean? In, the question there was, could you have paid solicitors for initiatives? And the court said that the job that's being done, asking people to sign the thing, involves core speech. So I, I think, in light of Justice Kennedy's question, that the answer has got to be yes. If you, if you, if you're going to say that no, this really isn't core speech, then you have to qualify. Meyer that said it is. Then the state is left with no way to ensure that those 54,000 signatures are collected in But wasn't there a good, person, a good part of this that the Tenth Circuit upheld? I mean, they didn't just strike down this thing wholesale. And at least as I read it, it comes, it, it permits the identification of the sponsor, the statement whether a person is paid or volunteer, what it doesn't permit is the name, insistence that the name go on the badge, and that the amount spent not only in gross for all petition solicitors, but person by person. That that's, that that's really what's at stake, the name. And do you have to not only tell how much you spent on solicitors altogether, but how much you paid each individual? As I understand it, that's all that's at stake. That's, uh, that is, uh, and identification as a paid solicitor, wouldn't, wasn't that stricken down? Do, do they have to identify themselves as paid solicitors? Uh, the requirement that by badge they identify themselves as paid solicitors was stricken by the Tenth Circuit. Was also. Yeah, but reserve? as far as I understand, they were doing that in connection with a name as well. Do we know from this case whether if all that the law required was paid by ex-sponsor, that, that, that the Tenth Circuit would have found anything wrong with that? The Tenth Circuit did not differentiate. Thank you. Very well, General Norton. Uh, Mr. O'Toole. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. What the respondents asked this Court to do is to fortify and reinforce the message that was given in Meyer to assure that the activity of citizens in peaceably gathering together to change government under a constitutional system such as we have in the state of Colorado is furthered by the First Amendment. You think it takes fortification? We couldn't just apply Meyer. You think if we just applied Meyer, you lose? The reason we ask you, I, Your Honor, I would say to you that, unfortunately, reviewing 
decisions from other circuits, it appears that there's some question about what this Court meant in Meyer. I think it's clear. I don't think there's any doubt. I think this test that's laid out in Meyer, uh, it talks about the burden being near, well nigh insurmountable. It couldn't be clear. Well, Ma- Meyer was different factually in a way. I think you can look at Meyer as, a, as an offspring kind of of the Buckley case. That just as you can't tell someone they can't spend their own money to finance their campaign, you can't tell someone that they can't hire petitioners to hire circulators to go around and circulate something. But this this goes beyond whether or not you can hire petitioners or not, or circulators. Mr. Chief Justice, I beg to differ with you on that issue. You, 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 you You think the facts of this case are the same as Meyer? That's, I'm telling you the facts are different. Now, you, you disagree? I, I, I'm I, talking about the facts. I say that the facts, because all facts differ, uh, that evidence that was presented in this case was not necessarily the same evidence presented in Meyer. The facts describing a response to Justice but, Kennedy are but, very close. But Meyer was, as I recall, was paid circulators. And here, we're talking about different requirements. We're not talking about prohibition against paid circulators. Excuse me, Mr. Chief Justice. We're not dealing with prohibition against paid circulators. We are dealing with prohibition against the circulation of petitions by residents or non-residents who do not deign, for one reason or another, to become a registered voter. We're dealing with their ability to be engaged in the same core. I didn't think we were dealing with residents versus non-residents. I thought we were dealing with the requirement that the circulator be a registered voter in Colorado. Is that what we're dealing with? Yes, you. Thank yes, you. Justice O'Connor. We're dealing with that issue. Now, at the same time, I guess Colorado, like other states, requires a certain number of signatures from registered voters, a that certain percentage in order to gain access to the ballot for a petition. That is correct. It's now, fine. under your theory, I guess, uh, that also inhibits speech because it deters the filing of these initiative petitions. Your Honor. What if Colorado tried to increase the number of signatures required? Your Honor, in terms of how I'm addressing this issue with regard to registered circulators who are agreed, agreed in the speech process, I do believe there might be a different anal- analysis that would attend whether or not or how the state assures that it has a modicum of public support for the measure so it's on the ballot. Well, does strict scrutiny apply to that requirement, in your view? In my opinion, yes, because I I believe that... So that's the next step we'll face. Uh, It's possible. (laughs) How do you say for that yet? You're a volunteer yet, Your Honor. Why why do you insist on making your case harder? Because I'm asked the questions. It, it seems to me that it's, it's quite a different issue, uh, how, many, uh, how many votes you need to get. That doesn't involve core political speech. We're, we're talking about persuading people to sign as opposed to how many people need to sign. You, and you think the two questions have to be equated. Oh, I, no, Your Honor, I don't. I, I was asked a question by, the, by Justice O'Connor, and I felt... I would, uh, in light of the court's very order. different, I would think one goes to the procedure involved in making this change, and the other goes to the question of one citizen trying to get another one to sign up or to support a particular proposition. You, you don't see a fundamental difference between those two? I, I was asked that question. I'm giving you an answer. My answer is no, but for purposes of this case, that other issue is not before us. We are dealing with core political speech, Justice Scalia, and I believe that the process is adequately delineated in footnote four of the Meyer decision. But well, let what me a, ask what, you what about the uh, uh, requirement in most states that there are certain qualifications for circulating nominating petitions? That is, the person who goes door to door, and you have to have so many signatures to get on the ballot. Now, is that circulator engaging in core political speech, in your view? 
not to the same extent because he's proceeding with — I think this Court has consistently drawn a distinction between ballot initiatives where there's a discussion of issues and a discussion of candidates. Well, but, but of course, they are gauging — uh, you know, So the person in the shopping center collecting signatures says, vote for this anti-tax referendum. The person coming to the door with a signature sheet for nomination says, will you sign this nominating sh- petition for Joe Blow? Those are those are pretty much the same, aren't they? Well, the state's interest differs because under the state of Col- in the state of Colorado, Chief Justice, we have a situation where the people reserve to themselves the right to petition for a circulated citizens initiative, and in fact, the state's involvement does not occur until that petition itself is submitted to the Secretary of State for approval of the measure. In terms of being, but I thought ballot. people reserve to themselves the right to decide what candidates will get enough signatures to have their names go on the ballot. They reserve that to themselves. Why isn't that core political speech? The cases on candidacy, in my my review of them, and I, it may not have been as, as scholarly a review as as might be required under the circumstances, but I will say to you that this discussion is not over a crowded ballot. This is not over a question of who can be on the ballot, because candidacy is not a right, but it's over the actions of people gathering. But let, let's, let's analyze uh, the thing without, necess- without any, uh, more, more on a factual basis. What is the difference factually in terms of core political speech between the person who comes to the door with a nominating petition and says, will you please sign this nominating commission for Joe Blow petition, and the person who sits in the shopping center and says, will you please sign this referendum for anti-tax? Because the state, Chief Justice, the state's interest in curtailing debate and consideration and discussion is significantly less in the former than in the latter. In the, uh, in the citizen's petition, we have a system which guarantees discussion and debate. We have, a, we have a core discussion of a political issue. The state has no power to determine what issues. May I ask you a factual question about a, a yes, Colorado Justice. law? Yes, Justice. The provisions in challenged here, such as requirement that you wear a badge, Yes. Do they apply to candidate solicitation, I mean, solicitation of signatures for a candidate and get a candidate's name on the ballot? As a factual question, it may, but it doesn't. Uh, the, the statute. Well, what do you mean it may, but it doesn't? Well, Either it does or it doesn't. No, no, I'm sorry. You said it may. No, no, no. I, no. I, I said I, as a matter, I'm asking you what the Colorado law is. In fact, it does not apply to recall or candidate petitions. The badge requirement or the paid circulator badge requirement or the paid circulator Reporting requirements do not apply to either the uh, so candidacy this, petition or the recall. So if we petition. uphold this, this, this uh, the, the judgment that we're reviewing, that will have no impact one way or another on any existing Colorado law applying to the solicitation of names to put a candidate's name on the ballot. That's correct. It's hard to see that there's a compelling state interest in having this information if, uh, if the state doesn't require it for these other matters, isn't it? I, we fail to see a compelling state interest. But is it, is it possible in, that the compelling state interest, I take it, that's being advanced, is that they're afraid that petition gatherers who are paid will say to people in shopping centers, I'll give you a dollar if you sign the petition. I'll give you 50 cents if you sign the petition. That's at least what they're saying. And it's not implausible. Now, if that's a legitimate interest, and it sounds like one, but I agree with you that this is unconstitutional. Would I also have to hold unconstitutional an effort by a state to say, we want disclosed how much money you give to a candidate? In other words, I'm quite concerned about deciding for you in this case and then finding the campaign finance issue before me in another case, and suddenly, lo and behold, I've decided that issue here. The answer is no. Why not? And the reason is that the state interest in avoiding the the possibility or view of corruption simply isn't present in a ballot initiative. No, I said what their issue, what their what their justification is, is that we're afraid that ARCO or some big company 
and maybe it's not true in Colorado, but it's certainly true in California, that very often large companies want measures on the ballot, and they'll pay people to gather signatures. And what they're worried about, I take it in Colorado, is a paid petition gatherer will say, I'll pay you 50 cents if you write your name down, which I take it is illegal. And they want a ready method to see if that's happened, and this is their ready method. Mr. O'Toole, may may I I just intervene at that point, because we're talking as though there were no measures in California, and I think it ought to be taken out of this case that how much the sponsor paid must indeed be disclosed, and the Tenth Circuit upheld that final report without any ifs, ands, or buts. So the sponsor must tell how much it is paying to get this measure on the ballot. That is correct. How much has been expended, Justice Ginsburg? In addition, there must be the name of the, of the collector of signatures on each one of these petition collection sheets that uh, he On every through. individual petition section, the name that of the circulator appears. Plus the sponsor. So we're not talking about a void of information. We're talking about Colorado has some information requirement, which the Tenth Circuit has upheld. Right. The question is, is it Colorado entitled, despite First Amendment concerns, to more than that? Our answer is no. We believe that the, the process that is employed by the State of Colorado was intended to do one thing, and that is to hinder the process of collecting signatures and for individuals to gauge in political support. Well, in, in a sense, any regulations may hinder the process. Probably the least hindering would be no regulation at all. But you don't contend that the state can't regulate it at all. Chief Justice, of course they can regulate it, and they do. They have criminal sanctions for the violation of the Act. They have extensive criminal. But I'm trying to get this. This is what I'm I'm thinking. Suppose I think in this case that their justification is trying to catch petition gatherers who will pay for signatures. Now, and I agree with you. Suppose Mm -hmm. I agree with you that despite that justification, this is unconstitutional. Then in the next case, someone says, remember that case you just decided? Now the state here is requiring various kinds of disclosure of contributions to candidates or other forms of finance disclosure. At that point, you want to say, that's totally different. And all I want you is to explain why. What is sought in in Colorado, Justice, is a prophylactic measure to assist the efficiency of the state at the cost of the First Amendment. Now, efficiency never does take a back seat, and in this particular case, the efficiency of identifying these individuals with a badge, and by the way, this goes to volunteer as well as uh, non- or paid circulators, and certain reporting requirements only go to paid circulators, but not to voluntary circulators. Those requirements essentially chill the process involved in poor political speech. I thought you have no objection to applying to your situation what Justice Breyer is worried about applying to contributors. You have no objection. I have to, no objection to, to disclosing uh, uh, who the circulators are and, and that they're paid and how much money is paid and all of that is indeed disclosed, isn't it? Your Honor, it so, is so what, what Justice Breyer should be asking you is, what if we required uh, contributors to candidates to go around wearing a button that says, contributor to candidate? That's the parallel, isn't it? I, 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 would, know what I, yeah, I know you're going to say yes, and I know what you, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps what I should I'm glad be, you know that. Maybe what I should be asking, but what I actually <laughs> am asking. Thank you, Justice Scalia. <laughs> is why you made that concession. I'm trying oh. to get in my mind what the reason is and, that and distinguishes it, between those two things. I'm looking for the rationale. Your Honor, in fact, as we tried this case and as we presented in our complaint, we did not make that concession. And, in fact, we challenged the affidavit requirement because we believe there were more or less restrictive means in which the, gather- the ensuring of a modicum of state support was there. However. Well, that I don't understand based on Buckley, because if, let's just make it with a, with a volunteer contributor. If I am required to disclose 
how much money I give, why isn't it equally constitutional for me to say I didn't have the money, but I gave personal services instead? Why shouldn't the public know who is contributing to this candidate? And some may contribute money and some may contribute personal services. The public does know in Colorado who has contributed to a citizen's initiative. That is reported. Contributions are not at stake here. What we're talking about are reporting requirements for individuals who are engaged in this very specific area of protected speech with their names, their addresses, their business addresses, and they are reported while. But I thought you just said you objected to the whole thing, including the report that the sponsor has to file, which, as I understand it, says, I am the sponsor of the initiative. Here it is, ready to go on the ballot. I spent X amount for paid solicitation. In fact, Justice uh, Ginsburg, I apologize if I gave you that impression. We did oppose the affidavit requirement because we thought it identified individuals too closely with contentious issues. We did not challenge the expenditure reporting requirements as found under the Campaign Act. We never challenged that. But we did challenge those parts of the statute which singled out paid circulators, identified them with issues, allowed them to be subjected to potential. But you're not appealing that here. That's correct. So for present purposes, why don't be magnanimous and say we accept all of that? You don't don't even mind having the individual circulators identified in the affidavit that's filed at the end. At this juncture, it is certainly more than adequate information to allow the state to proceed with any interest they have. Uh, The mention of fraud, uh, talismanic incantation in these cases, and the long and short of it is we don't see it. Would would you... uh, Yes, think it's constitutional to require uh, in boldface type on the front uh, uh, as a cover sheet for any initiative that a voter signs the statement, this, initi- this um, uh, petition is being circulated by a paid circulator or an unpaid circulator, as the case may be. Would you object to that? Yes, I would. And it would be the same objection that we have to the badge, Justice Kennedy. And the reason I'd object to it is that the protection that's accorded to somebody that's paid in this sacred area of of political discussion is the same. And there is no reason. There are three. I think we have, uh, you know, basically this disclosure says that we have the forces the individual to fear or have the risk of fear of government reprisal? No. no. All right. I'm sorry. It's, it seems to me that this promotes free speech rather than retards it. It gives the, um, the, the voter who's considering signing the petition added information. Uh, it, does, does it, it does not promote the free speech of the individual seeking to speak. To speak, it, Justice Kennedy, I believe it may promote some interest in giving more information to the recipient of that speech, which it is our opinion is not the purpose what, what, of the First what, Amendment. What's, what's the evil that follows uh, from my hypothetical? Because you know what's next, because I'm going to say, well, what's wrong with the say on the badge, paid or unpaid? But forget the badge. Forget the badge. Let, 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 let's say that it's right on the affidavit. This, circu- this petition is being circulated by a paid or unpaid volunteer. Is kidding me? It is our position that that prophylactic, whatever reason for whatever, first off, is there a reason for that? Is yeah, the reason? No, no, that the, the state says this, this gives information to the voter that the voter would need. That's not a compelling state interest that overcomes the right of the individual to participate in anonymous speech. That's well, my answer a, to that. It's not anonymous. You, you don't have to give your name. All you have to say is whether you're paid or not paid. You're still anonymous. But an individual does not have to speak. It's compelled speech. That individual is being Well, but you allow it on the, on the disclosure report. Ah, well, in the disclosure report, what is allowed is, is a generalized reporting that says expenditures were made to national voter outreach. Now, or whatever paid circulation is taking place. Remember, we still haven't gotten to the registered circulators in, in, a, in a deep way. By the way, there is no empirical evidence that it turns out that registered voters are could you, less could likely you, to commit fraud than Could you require a statement on a, on a candidate petition that says at the top, uh, 
uh, circulated by someone who expects a job from this candidate <laughs> if he is elected. Could, could you require uh, that statement? That's very important information for the voter to know. Why not require that? Uh, could you require that? I, Your Honor, you could require that. <laughs> if you require that, that's what's going to be done. But I, the answer to that, I'd say, is to the extent that it, it creates an impediment to discussion and compels speech, which the speaker has a right to determine and select is the nature of his conversation. Why do you, why can you then, camp, when, why could you then compel a company uh, to state uh, in the newspaper that it has contributed uh, $1,000 uh, to Joe Jones, uh, who's a candidate, uh, in the form of uh, promising uh, to give him an employment contract as soon as he's finished? I take it you could compel the latter, or can you? I would say Then no. when, why couldn't you? How, how, how do you well, you're, if Part of the speech that you're compelling is not the contribution. You're compelling the reason. You're compelling the inherent basis of the conversation. I, I suppose and the another, political purpose. I yes, suppose sir. another answer to my question is: if it's important to the voter, he can ask. Have you been paid or not? If the voter thinks it's important, he can. They ask. can ask. That is, in, in terms of the process, Justice Kennedy, you asked about that. I, I direct your attention to footnote four uh, in the uh, Meyer brief. Also, there is adequate. There is there is discussion in the transcript of the. Uh, of how the process works. And it involves going door to door on occasion, but also going to, to Mr. the malls. Mr. Mr. O'Toole, may I ask you another question about the Certainly. state of the record? The state, one of the important state interests here is to catch the people who are bribing people to sign, sign petitions. And there's sort of a presumption that paid circulars may do that rather often. Does the record contain any evidence indicating how, what percentage of paid circulators engage in this kind of conduct and what percentage don't? I mean, normally we assume people are innocent until they're proved guilty, but here there's kind of a presumption that paid circulators are guilty of this recurring crime. Does evidence support that? Just Stevens, as we argued in brief, we think the evidence. No, I'm not asking you what you argued okay, in the brief. I'm, I'm asking you what's in the, what oh, evidence what, was adduced in the trial court and what findings, if any, were made. The evidence is more indirect than direct. The evidence substantiates that in 1992, there were 1,200,000 signatures submitted. The state detected approximately 2,000 of those signatures obtained by fraud. That's a fifth of a percent, or less than a fifth of a percent. That is the evidence of fraud. And Does that is... How many people were responsible for those fraudulent signatures? Looked like 15, 9 to 15. I think they got three convictions. They did have, uh, and that's part of the uh, appellee's supplemental appendix, where they had a, uh, a hearing before the Secretary of State to determine whether certain acts had violated uh, 1-41-130, which is the, the criminal st execution statutes in the petition. And they, they were not able to find any evidence of fraudulent dissemination of information and but does, do the, do the, does the evidence show how many of those who did perpetrate fraud were paid and how many were unpaid? The only evidence is that 9 to 15 individuals were, who were paid circulators may have engaged in fraud, three of whom got convicted of forgery. What they actually did, they violated the, uh, made a class 4 felony, they used, they wrote in the identity of individuals. The Secretary of State, who had the power to check every but signature. They, they forged names, I That's guess, rather than writing in the identity of individuals. Uh, they forged names. They forged signatures, names. They went through a telephone well, book. Then you're saying there was evidence that they had committed fraud. Absolutely. Okay. Now, what, what evidence was there that unpaid solicitors had committed comparable fraud? None. Okay. And is there any evidence in any other state? I mean, this occurred in a state which had these requirements, which they're trying to defend. Is there any evidence from states that don't have these requirements? Uh, there was evidence that in the state of Washington, and, and that's a higher quantum of, of signatures needed to show a modicum of, of, of support, that there was like, likewise approximately 1,500 signatures. It turned out in that particular case, factually, and that's part of the amicus brief from the states, that the uh, proponents who are the first to worry about fraud and being tainted with fraud 
found that there had been fraud by circulators, that they had been defrauded, and had therefore turned that in. Uh, there's evidence also in this case that in one such incident, the, uh, the proponent had paid somebody approximately four, 6,000 more signatures than they actually got, and they thought they had been do, defrauded. Do, do these circulators get, they get paid by the name? Is that uh, they get, they, they get, get paid by the, by the, the So when they forge a name, they are cheating not just the state, they're cheating the person who hired them. Absolutely. So I assume he would have an interest in, he has a, in preventing their fraud as well. And in fact, when I, when I was involved in the Workers' Choice of Care Amendment, uh, we set up very stringent guidelines to check every single signature. Whatever you did, does the state of Colorado have any laws that are aimed at the sponsor, the one who pays, as distinguished from the person who receives the payment? Well, to the extent that a sponsor involves himself or herself in fraud, they are likewise going to be, uh, could likewise be penalty Penalized. But there's no kind of respondeat superior liability? No. As far as I — no. There is not a respondeat superior liability. I'm aware of no instances in which the proponent has been charged and convicted where, in the absence of any overt act on the proponent's part to um, — or permit the fraud or encourage the fraud. The, the — what the sponsor must disclose, in addition to the total amount spent — on paid petitions, do they they have to break that down into the per signature amount? No, they no they don't. They give a when in the in the reporting requirement, which was not struck down and which is not before this court. They give a general reporting of expenditures, the amount and in this particular instance, the amount paid to circulate petitions. There'll be another line item. The amount it costs to buy petitions to have them. But if you know, do you know the number of? I suppose if you knew the number of paid petitioners, and you knew the total amount paid to them, you could figure out the per petition. You could if there there was a breakdown that the secretary did, but they don't. I I, there was a breakdown. I asked that yeah. question earlier. I'm I sorry. thought it did identify how much was paid to each petition circulator. Did it not? Your Honor, if you ask that question of me. I, I, will, oh. I, will, I will tell you that the reporting requirement, as I understand it, is an expenditure, and it's a global expenditure requirement. The requirement that was struck down was one which required the distinct reporting of paid circulators' names, addresses, and identifying information. The monthly, oh, the monthly yeah. one. Monthly, exactly right. Whereas at the end, the evidence or the record of the paid circulators is really no different from the record of non or voluntary circulators, what happens is the petitions get turned in. Those petitions contain the name of the individual who circulated the petition. Right. That information is what the Secretary of State uses to first determine. What, what is stated about the expenditures? So much, I expended so much for, for, for television? So, mu so much for radio? I paid J&J &J Printing Company $5,000 to print my petition. Okay. This is, this is, now this you, have to, you have to show who the money was paid to. That's correct. But if it's paid to, to circulators, don't you have to show the circulator and it, how much money was paid to each circulator? It has been applied as a general reporting requirement where in 1992 we indicated we paid, uh, I forget whether it was $40,000 to National Voter Outreach for circulation of petitioners without identifying line by line the identity of the... I see. You, you pay the national company that hires these uh, circulators. Is that Correct. it? So you only have to show what company you paid it to, and these are employees of that company. Uh, employees, they, they, uh, they're paid on a per-signature basis uh, under our law in the state of Colorado. They'd be independent contractors, but... You know, the answer to that question is... How, how soon before the election is that final disclosure statement made? Uh, I'm over here. Or, or does oh, I'm sorry, it... Just, or, or is it made after the election? The disclosure is made when the petitions are filed with the, the same, Secretary the same, of State. The same day. There are further disclosures that take place just prior to the election. But the, this disclosure, this global disclosure with, with, with the lump sum amount paid for circulation is is filed at the time that the, that the petitions are filed? That is correct. And the further disclosures near to the time of the election are not before us? 
it's near the time of the election, and no, I don't. No, but is, is it uh, is, is any issue about those disclosures? No, no, Your Honor, there is not. The, the only issue in that disclosure is the requirement that while this petition is being circulated, while that contentious issue is before the public, these individuals who, by virtue of the sole fact that they are paid, have to be identified. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. O'Toole. General Gill, you have one minute remaining. May it please the courts, uh, in clarification to Justice Kennedy's question, uh, the monthly, monthly report was stricken by the Tenth Circuit in its entirety. The final report was stricken to the extent it requires individualized reporting regarding the circulators. Uh, Mr. O'Toole is correct that uh, the final report is submitted at the time that the petition itself is submitted. Uh, there are examples of both of those reports in the joint appendix at pages 41 and 45. Uh, the state has an interest in preventing uh, fraud and misconduct while a petition is being circulated, not simply bribery, but also a husband signing for a wife, something as commonplace as that. We have a responsibility. The state to doesn't the care about this, these things with candidate petitions? Uh, certainly the state does care but about But it doesn't these have these requirements. Uh, it has some of these requirements as Not well. the badge and the paid versus the unpaid and the requirements we're talking about here. It does have the registration requirement, but not the others. The badge requirement fulfills the function of providing information to the signer. That person is essentially relying on the, sign, on the circulator as a fiduciary. The person can, the voter can only sign a petition once. Once they have signed a petition, they cannot sign that same petition again. And so once they have given over their signature to that person, they have given them a trust responsibility. Thank and you, General Norton. Thank you. The case is submitted.